0: Hello, hello, everyone. I'm glad that all of you are here. Um, yeah, my name is Ryan. Just a little bit about myself. I'm a I'm a pretty sporty guy. I like basketball, spikeball, a little bit of Ultimate Frisbee. Um, I like rivalries, and I love hearing trash talk between players. It's something that I love, but honestly, I don't like when I'm getting trash talked, like on the other end. Um, but it's just, I don't know, it's just something about the trash talk is just... Uh, intriguing. And in sports, you know, like the NBA, there is a level of professionalism um, that players must uphold. November 19th, 2004, a brawl took place between the Indiana Pacers and the Detroit Pistons. This happens from time to time, but it doesn't happen often. As time went on, some players from the Pacers stormed past the bleachers and they started throwing hands with the, with the piston fans. That's something that you just don't do as a player. And this is, you know, like through, through their, uh, the players' immaturity, there was consequences to their actions. Some of them faced suspensions. There was fines of up to $5 million from the players. This is a terrific example of immaturity and the consequences that come with it. I'm sure that the players wish they had a better sense of maturity after dealing with the consequences of their decisions. Tonight, I will be speaking on the value of spiritual maturity. But first, I'm going to go ahead and pray, so pray with me. Uh, Lord, I just thank you uh, for everyone here. I just uh, ask that you just really reveal to us what our next steps are. Um, and I pray that we would just take action steps toward growing in our relationship with you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll be walking through a passage in Galatians 4, We will un- and we'll uncover ways that you can grow toward maturity in Christ. This is the Apostle Paul writing the letter to the Galatian churches, and I'm going to read verses 8 through 11. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who were who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or are, rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Last week, David gave a message on claiming an eternal inheritance. The Galatians, their heirs in Christ, but their loyalty was in question because of the way that they lived their lives. Prior to being followers of Christ, the people of Galatia would worship beings. They thought that they were gods. They, they set their hope in rituals, traditions, achievements, and, or, or good works, which ultimately amounted to nothing. But even after following Christ, they fell back to these weak and miserable forces which would never please God and can never result in salvation. At this point, the Apostle Paul, he's furious because these Christians were being immature in their walk with God. His tone in this letter can be described as frustrated and disappointed. Their identity began to fall back into bondage to sin all over again. Proverbs twenty-six, eleven says, Like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. I love dogs, but this is something that's nasty and gross that dogs do. They return to their vomit. And it's also a gross and nasty habit that we have in repeatedly going away from God and becoming slaves to sin all over again. When looking at the Galatian church, it's easy to point our fingers at how clueless and foolish they were in reverting back to their old ways. We're not far from them. Have you noticed after committing a sin that you fall again? We tend to explain away why we fell repeatedly, but if this isn't intentionally dealt with, decades will pass and you will live with this repetitive and childlike perspective towards sin that's not the kind of life i want to live in and that's not the kind of life i want you to live in so why is maturity important should live changed lives that reflect their transformed heart there are things that i did in the past that i no longer do today because i matured for instance i don't get into fist fights with my sister It's like something I don't do anymore. (laughs) I used to think avocados were disgusting, but now I love avocados. And I don't order from the kids' menu at restaurants, usually. Maturity is something that is just natural. The most essential type of maturity we should pursue growth in is in our new life with Christ. When we choose not to, our lives will remain in this stuck lifestyle that slips further from God. Before taking my relationship with God seriously, I would I would have one foot in with the world and I had and I would have one foot in with God. I would fall into these old habits that I had before following Christ, and it was to the point where I would rationalize my choices by thinking thoughts like but I can't help myself. Oh, at least I'm not doing such and such. Oh, this isn't so bad. These thoughts were just excuses to please my own sinful desires. I will share with you uh, ways that you can pursue spiritual maturity, but there's, you know, very first off, one very important step we need to take. That very first step we need to take in spiritual maturity is believing that Jesus is God, that he died for our sins and rose from the dead. You must invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Admitting that you're a sinner, that you deserve death, and knowing that you're in desperate need of the Savior is the start of maturity. I'd really encourage you to surrender your life to Christ if you haven't already. It's the only way to experience true life and the only way to have a personal relationship with God. In verse seven uh, of, of chapter four, Paul says that the believers are free and are an heir in Christ. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Uh, now that we know that the first step in is committing your life to Christ, I'm gonna share with you three ways that we can pursue maturity in Christ. And the first is to immerse yourself in in God's word. That's the first point in your outline. Immerse yourself in God's word. So before college, I didn't like reading. I would either not do reading assignments or I would take the shortcut by looking up chapter summaries on SparkNotes. This led to poor test scores. I attended after-school tutoring and I did summer school to help with reading and comprehension. I knew that doing well in school was good, but I never put in the effort to work at it. If we're not living, if not if we're not filling our lives with God's word and making decisions to obey him, we're actually choking out what God wants from our life. By immersing ourselves with God's word, we're learning more about who God is and what he wants for our life. It's unwise to have the attitude that neglect studying and applying the Bible to our lives. There are times we dry or ventilate ourselves from his word. We're tempted to skip spending time with God one day, then that turns into three. Then weeks can go by. This distance and separation ends with unfruitfulness and stagnation. Have you tried to clean with a dry sponge before? It's useless for cleaning up sticky surfaces. You have to add water to make it useful. You, without God's word, are like a dry sponge. God's word in your life makes you useful. Don't be a dry sponge. Make God's word a priority in your life. John 15, verses four through five, it's pretty clear on who we should be depending on. Jesus says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Filling your life with God's word will help you battle against temptation. When Jesus was tempted by Satan in the desert, he used scripture to, to, as a weapon to fight off Satan. And filling your life with God's word will also help you discern false and unwise teaching. The Galatian church was influenced by a different gospel. They needed to guard their heart from the false doctrine that was works-based. Paul describes the false teachers in verse 17, Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. By soaking in God's Word and abiding in it, we are able to know what is. We we are able to know what is true and recognize falsehood. Josh gave a message a couple weeks ago uh, on the real gospel. I'd encourage you to listen to that um, because he covered the importance of knowing the truth, and he shared common ways that we fall into falsehood. Another benefit in reading God's word is that you can unravel God's direction for your life. There are two passages found in Matthew that reveal the purpose of our life and what we should be doing for God. The first is the greatest greatest commandment, and that's found in Matthew 22, verses 36 and 37. A Pharisee asked Jesus, "'Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law?' Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. In addition to loving God with our lives, we should be laboring to making disciples, as it says in the Great Commission. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Another way we can be taking steps toward maturity is to be rooted in godly community. That's the second point in your outline. Be rooted in godly community. I've been watching Marvel's The Avengers recently, and each Avenger has a different set of skills and all of them contribute to stopping Loki, Ultron, and Thanos. Individually, one Avenger could not stop the villain, but with the assistance of one another, they all played a valuable part to save the world and stop the villains from carrying out their plans. Like the Avengers needing one another, let's not overlook the importance of being in community with followers of Christ. We should stay connected and contribute to the mission in a, in a community that focuses on the great commandment and the great commission. In college, it's easy to be influenced. It doesn't, make, it doesn't take much convincing to procrastinate on that homework assignment that's due at 1159. It also doesn't take much to convince someone on Ivy Street to jump off the roof and break a folding table. The people around you have an influence on your life, and this could contribute toward either godly or ungodly living. Proverbs 13:20 says, "Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm." You are the sum total of the five people that you hang out with. If you surround yourself with foolish people, you're going to make foolish decisions. Planting yourself around godly individuals will reap a character that's missionally focused on loving God and making his name known. The, the Galatians, they're at this vulnerable position of being influenced by other world views, and it was because they're so young in their faith. It's, it's the whole reason why Paul wrote this letter was to remind them of the truth and, and to mature in their walk with Christ. We can do life alone But that's actually inhibiting because there's so much more growth that we can experience with others. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 helps illustrate a teamwork mentality and how isolation from others could be detrimental. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of 3 strands is not quickly broken. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9 through 12. And in Hebrews 10:24 to 25, it says, "And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds." not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Distance from community will result in an unmotivated heart for growth. We are urged to keep meeting together no matter what our circumstances are. We should remain rooted in community even when a relationship has gone south when school begins to drown you out when we repeatedly fall into sin when family drama occurs or when we have doubts this previous year was inherently that has was a was inherently it had a lot of isolation as we are on our way out of this we should strive toward community and not isolation I've definitely grown a lot just being around other believers, uh, but where I found a lot of growth in my walk is actually meeting with someone who is further along in their faith. The last point in your outline is to pursue discipleship. Pursue discipleship. You can learn a lot from others who are more mature than you are than you are and who have more life experience than you. Jesus showed us the importance of this by making disciples. He instructed them on how to minister to others, and he was with them all the time. They followed him, and they saw the, the life and ministry of Jesus. During orientation at Chico State, I was grouped together with incoming students who had the same major as me. It was super super helpful having a student guide tour us around campus. They answered questions, any of the questions that we had, and they also helped us uh, how to register. They, they showed us how to register for classes for the coming fall. Having someone disciple you is similar to that campus tour guide at, at orientation, but instead of helping you assimilate to college, a discipler calls you forward to a deeper love for God and for others. They share their lives with you and push you to walk with Jesus more obediently. Discipleship is not always easy. In the moment, it, it, it may not be fun getting corrected or hearing about a blind spot in your life of, of, of sin that just you're indulging in. But this is actually very loving and caring for the discipler uh, to correct and rebuke you. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Earlier, I mentioned that I was struggling with having one foot in with the world and one foot in with God. That one foot in with the world was drinking to get drunk. Getting rebuked and corrected hurt in the moment. It was a wake-up call for sure. And I can confidently say that that was a turning point in my walk with God. We should have confidence in our spiritual leaders because uh, we should have confidence in them to speak into our lives. And we should also listen to their instructions because they look after us. Not only should we have someone pouring into us, we must outwardly pour our lives into others by making disciples. In the Great Commission, Jesus exhorts the the disciples to carry on the the mission and to reach the ends of the earth. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This means we should obey Jesus, be filling the earth with the knowledge of the glory of God, and giving people the chance to know and follow Jesus sharing the gospel and making disciples is life-changing. And it's pretty for common for believers to feel unqualified. I've definitely felt unqualified at times in sharing the gospel, but the most qualified individual to share the gospel is the one whose life has been transformed by faith through Jesus Christ. Isn't it amazing that how we can how we get to play a part in God's mission? by delivering good news to people who are headed toward a Christless eternity. We have family members, we have close friends, we have neighbors who aren't walking with the Lord. Sharing the gospel is the most loving thing that you can do for them. By making disciples, we're training and equipping people to live out their walk with Jesus obediently. Pursuing maturity in Christ will take intentionality and sacrifice. I'd really encourage you to evaluate and take initiative on what your next step is in, per, in maturity in your walk with Christ. This could be being more diligent in spending time with God. It can, be, it can mean surrounding yourself with other Christians, or it could be taking discipleship more seriously. Don't waste your life filling your time with worldly ambitions. Instead, maximize your walk with Christ by investing your time in mature qualities that reflect a transformed life. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I just thank you for this time. I I just pray that all of us would just really uh, walk away uh, with, with some action step and take some initiative uh, in, in our next step with you, if that's committing our life to you, or if that's um, pursuing growth and maturity in in our relationship with you, or pursuing growth and maturity with others, or uh, pursuing growth and maturity in, in discipleship. I ask that um, you just reveal to us just what next steps we should take, um, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.